If you are, oh, you can, obviously you can see it now. You can have a look at the wall here. We're starting a brand new series today. Uh, this is fun, right? I thought about what, what's the perfect series to go into after you dedicate some babies, right? Uh, that wasn't the plan, but the, the idea is, is we are going to be looking at spiritual warfare. Um, if you have a Bible with you, it would be a good idea to have a Bible. We're going to be spending the majority of our time today in John's Gospel in chapter 8. So a little bit of background here as to how we ended up on this. Uh, we're going to be in this series for about five or six weeks, and some of you might be going, really? <laughs> okay. Um, uh, but it's, it's uh, typically our tradition, as you know, uh, those of you who attend The Rock, that we go through books of the Bible verse by verse. We feel that's, uh, well, that's the way they were delivered, first of all, in the New Testament especially, to the churches, and they, they devoured them. They went through each letter from Paul or whoever it was from, and that was the main way of teaching in the church. But also for us as a church, we believe it's the best way to learn the Word of God and to find out what the story is about. So the last time we actually did that, a book, was last fall when we, we were going through the book of Jonah. And uh, we went through that. And then we started a number of like mini-series. Uh, at Christmas, we did an Advent series called The Light of the World. And one of the reasons why we went that way is just felt like the, we were at a time and a place in the life of our church um, where we, we, we needed to look at some things that were really relevant to us at this time related to, uh, yeah, this time in history, this time in a pandemic, this time in our culture, so many things going on. And yet we remained really in uh, a verse-by-verse mode. So recently we did this series uh, in Romans 8. Most of you were here and part of that. And what, what an amazing chapter. As I mentioned during that series, some theologians, pastors have called it the greatest chapter in the whole Bible. And, you know, at first, as I said, even at the beginning of that series, it sounds, that sounds a little over the top, right? But I think if you were here with us or if you've ever studied Romans 8, it's certainly a big one, right? It's, it's full and it's so rich. And so we learned in that series that we have the same struggle as the Apostle Paul that he lamented actually in chapter 7, which led into chapter 8, and that is this battle between our old sinful nature, what's called the flesh, not just in the King James, but it is literally the flesh, and this life in Christ, this this way of living according to the Spirit that we're supposed to be doing. And so we we recognize that there's this problem that we have, though. And so we, we kept coming back in that series to this central question. Why, if the Christian life should be the best life ever, it should be, right? We're in Christ. (laughs) We we have him. We have eternal security. We have forgiveness. We have each other. It's amazing. Why, if that's the case, does it not always seem that way? Right? Why do we struggle, like Paul did, doing what we know we should no longer be doing, and not doing what we know we should be doing. What's with that struggle? It it seems, and I thought about it this week for myself anyway, sometimes in my life, I think it's getting better, not just because I'm getting older, but he's continuing to do more work in me, which is awesome. But sometimes it has felt like it's like three steps forward and five back. Anybody? You know, you're doing well with the Lord, you know, and then setbacks. Well, if you think about it, If you think about it this way, on top of having Jesus, full forgiveness from God, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, eternal security, and the promise that we saw in Romans 8, he will work all things 
out for your good and for my good, for those that love God. We know that. But, but on top of that, the reality is most of us in this room, I think, have really nice homes. Or at least we're renting a really nice property. It's, we have a roof over our head. We have provision like that. And you know what else? I know sometimes it feels like a struggle, especially with three weeks of four foot of feet of snow, but we live in a really beautiful place. And we're 45 minutes from one of the most amazing metropolitan cities in the world and 45 minutes from where? Yeah, I forget about that place. But, you know, like a resort, like an amazing place, right? And we have that. We have those things. We, we, we have loving relationships. We have amazing kids. Okay, hold on. Um, stick with me here. We have all kinds of toys. If you live in Squamish, most of you have a dog, right? Or many cats. Not a cat person, but, you know, there's those kind of things. We have all these things. We get to worship together. We have a church family. And yet, from time to time, we have to be honest, I don't know you, but why is it we all feel so tired? Listen, it's not just the pandemic. Come on. Like it, like it is. It's tiring. Every day, 4 o'clock, we look at each other, my wife and I, it's like, what time's bed? <laughs> like, you know, it, it, it's tiring. It's, but it's not just the pandemic. L- life, literally, in our world is exhausting. And in fact, it can be really, really depressing. It, and, and so my question for you this morning as we dive into this series is, why does it feel like a battle just every day, let alone to, to do life, but a battle to remain faithful to Jesus, to faithfully walk with him as his disciple? Why does that feel like a battle? Well, how about this? Maybe it is. Maybe it is a battle. And, and maybe it is especially a battle for the Christian. So today we start this series as a result of realizing that this is where we are all at in these days, really. We all need to know how to better live according to the Spirit, right? To remain true to the gospel in these challenging and divisive days. So in this series, as you can see from the graphic, it's called Spiritual Warfare, but the the title is actually The Battle for Your Mind and Soul. That's the title of our series. So we're going to spend four to five, uh, pardon me, five to six weeks maybe in this series. I'm going to do the first two messages in this series, and we're going to be focusing on that guy called the devil, Yep, that's where we're going today. And then Rudy's going to take two weeks and deal with the flesh. And then uh, I'm going to return and do one at least week, if not two, on the world. So we'll get to the, the title part of it more in a minute. But let's start with the whole idea of the title and the word warfare. Now, I don't know if most of you know this, but we belong to, uh, as a church, the Mennonite Brethren uh, denomination. And the MBs, as we like to call them, or mostly Baptists, are, uh, uh, one of their distinctives as a denomination, that's lovely, is that they are pacifists. Uh, they believe in what is taught in the Sermon on the Mount, is that Jesus came to bring peace, right? not war, which is true. And, and on top of the fact that our denomination believes that we should be pacifist in nature, 
Uh, but I would also suggest to you that in our culture today, that's a prevailing view, right? It is. So, so the whole idea of warfare, I honestly, I, I racked my brain, and some of you know my previous career. I won't mention it. <clears throat> Marketing. Um, you know, I, I couldn't come up with it. Like, and then I thought to myself, no, you know what? We, we have to understand that this word warfare is real and that it's okay. And, and I would put it to you this way. If, if and hopefully in your lifetime and mine, this is never going to happen in Canada, that another country actually invades us, and our government comes out and calls it an act of war, I think most of you are going to be okay with that, right? It would be war. <laughs> Maybe not. But this is a war that we're in. If you look through Scripture, um, you're not going to see the two words spiritual warfare in the Scripture, but also you're not going to see the word Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in the Bible either. However, again, if, if you do a, a, a really... Uh, in-depth study of all scripture, the principle is there. The principle is there. And we will eventually get, not today, to Ephesians 6. All of you know that passage. It's probably the primary passage when people preach on spiritual warfare. And, and you look at the armor of the Roman soldier. <laughs> now, Paul uses it as a metaphor, but it's also intended. And so that armor, of course, is a, is a helmet and a shield, all depicting... The, the uniform of a soldier who's going into battle. So another issue that some people have with a sermon, let alone, listen, five to six weeks or at least two weeks on that guy called the devil is that maybe what we're doing there is we're, 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 we're giving him too much attention, right? We're, we're giving him too much credit, too much focus on this guy, right? And, and that's a legitimate concern for sure, but I can think of two statements that I want to show you that I found to be true. I, I think they're somewhat true. One is from C.S. Lewis where he said this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. I like that he pluralizes that, right? One is to believe in their existence, disbelieve, pardon me, in their existence. That's an error in his mind and I would agree. But the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Agreed. That's not the point of what we're doing. Another, of course, would be from that uh, theological tome of a movie, uh, The Usual Suspects from 1995. Remember that? I mean, one of the suspected or suspect, suspicious characters pardon me, in that movie actually said this line, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. I have to be honest with you, as I prayed about this last summer, about a series like this, I thought to myself, I don't know if on a daily basis I get up every day or most of the people in our church get up every day and actually think about the fact that everything that's going on today is spiritual in nature. I'm either being impacted by the spirit of God in my life or by the spirit of darkness in my life. And so it's, a, it's an issue that we are looking at and we are concerned about because I believe in the church today, we're not sufficiently armed for our battle, mainly because we actually don't know our enemy and his tactics well enough. I hope to show you some of that today, especially next week. So as I said, the, the title is Spiritual Warfare, the Battle for Your Mind and Soul, a typical title for this. And when I sent... The, the text to Lorraine, who came up with our graphic for this, as she normally does. 
I said that's the, the typical would be spiritual warfare, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Anyone ever heard that sermon series before? Right? It's a pretty standard saying or way of looking at a series like this. And, and it's, 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 it's okay, but um, I forget who it was. I think it was David Paulson who's uh, passed away recently, sadly. Uh, he was a great biblical counselor. But, but he, he commented on the world, the flesh, and the devil, and he said something along the lines of, it, it creates in our minds too much of a monolithic view, like it's a one thing, that they're all one thing, and so we don't really understand what's going on. And, and so the idea is anytime I've ever heard a sermon series on that or even a sermon, it's like, okay, yes, there is the world, bad. The world's bad, right? And then there's the flesh, right? Bad, right? And then there's the devil, really bad. Right? Like th- that was basically what we're, we're taught to understand. And then at the end of the day, the application is be in the world, not of it, and you'll be fine. <laughs> right? And, and I, I used to hear about things like that. And I'd be like, really? Oh, okay, we're good. We're good. We just, just be in the world, but not of it. Okay. So what I hope to actually accomplish in this series and today is... Um, it is to make us more aware of who we're up against. What his modus operandi is. What his tactics are. As an illustration, I thought about um, a man by the name of Roger Nielsen. I don't know if any of you know him, but I, 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 since the Canucks beat the Maple Leafs last night, <laughs> thank you, Lord, uh, which is awesome. It's a great analogy. It's a great illustration. But Roger Nielsen was the coach of the Canucks uh, I believe in the 80s, and he, he became known as Captain Video. And the reason why he became known as Captain Video is because he is the guy that actually pioneered the whole idea that before a hockey game, uh, like days before a game against a foe, a battle, we're going to watch video of these guys. Like, that, was, that never happened. When I was growing up, we just we showed up at the rink, we chewed bubble gum, and we went and played hockey. And we just skated and passed and shoot and hoped to win. No, Roger said, look, we need to watch what they do because all teams have patterns and they have plays they're trying to make. And so we need to learn their offensive tricks. We need to learn their defensive tricks. And so that when we're on the ice against them, we'll know how to defeat them. Every hockey team in the world does that today. They wouldn't even think of having a game without doing that. So I think that's an important thing to keep in our minds as we look at this. That's my hope. I don't, I don't like this guy any more than you do but it's important. We know who we're up against. So rather than the order that we would typically do, I want to take the order the opposite way around. And I'm, I'm coming at that because of a fantastic book that I read that has taught me much. I'll be quoting John Mark Cormer a lot in this series who wrote the book, Live No Lies. And, and he turned it around beautifully uh, to say that, no, we need to start looking at that guy first, at the devil first, then the flesh, and finally the world. And he put it this way, and we're going to put it on screen for you, and it'll be posted, and I would encourage you to remember this as we go through the series. He put it this way. We're looking at the devil from the perspective of deceptive ideas. So, so, so his whole, he, he, all he does every day, all the time, every second of every day is spawn deceptive ideas. That's the devil. That play to, look at this, our disordered desires. That's an important phrase. Rudy will unpack that more when we look at the flesh, meaning we all have desires. Many of those desires are God-given and they're good, but then they can become disordered. And he loves to move us in that direction, right? And then this last one is amazing. That our look, normalized in a sinful society. 
I'm older than most of you in this room, so I've seen this pattern. <laughs> but anybody even much younger see this pattern unfolding a lot in our world today? There are deceptive ideas going on out there that appeal to our disordered desires and are completely normalized in a sinful society. That's the background for what we're looking at today. So finally, I know this is a really, really long introduction before we get to the scripture, but it's important. I want to make this blanket statement early on in the series, and that is this. Just to have in the back of your minds, it is this. The spiritual battle that you and I are in every day as Christians is between two kingdoms. There's no middle kingdom, as some people think. It's the kingdom of darkness versus the kingdom of light. The kingdom of God against the kingdom of hell. That's important. Because the reality is, and I've said this before many times this way, our enemy, this guy we're going to look at today and next week, has only one goal in mind. One word, death. He wants every single person on this planet to die without Jesus Christ. That's why he lies. Why he's so deceptive. And if he can't have that, he wants Christians to be functionally dead until they die. And so he's still at work in our lives. One verse, John chapter 8, verse 44, is what we're going to unpack today. Read it with me. John chapter 8, verse 44. Jesus speaking to a bunch of Pharisees. It's the middle of a very long conversation, which we will unpack. He said, talking to these men. You are of your father, the devil. Your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for all of the blessings in this day so far. Lord, I, I ask you, Holy Spirit, I really ask you right now, like, would you bless us as we look at this passage, but also as we look at this subject? Um, I, I am certain, Lord, that most of us, want, we, we just want to come to church and we want to... We wanna, have good fellowship with one another. We, we want to just sing your praises. We, we want to we leave with, you know, some warm, encouraging feeling on our hearts. Holy Spirit, I, I hope you will accomplish that today. While at the same time, Lord Jesus, we hear you speak truth. And so, Lord, I just pray. I pray for help as I preach this, as I teach this. But I also pray, Lord, that uh, yeah, you would just work in the hearts of everyone who's hearing here and online. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I mentioned, we're in this verse, we're dropping into a really long conversation. And we will get there in a few minutes. We will go back a little bit and look how we got to it. But first and foremost, though, I, I want to just have a look at that this opens up for us really some key things about this, this guy who is, of course, the devil. I think the first thing that we can see from this one verse is that without doubt, <laughs> Jesus believes he exists, right? 
So, so look, like, come on. In, in our world today, there, there, there are enough skeptics out there who would go, listen, good on you. Let me just pat you on the back that you believe in a, in a, in a God in the sky. And hey, that's okay. Like, as long as you keep that in your home and in your church. But, you know, like, and it's, it's you know, they're compassionate and nice, but they also think we're a bit dim-witted, right? Right? Now, now that's one thing. But to believe in a devil, you know, the, the little guy, the red guy that sits on your shoulder with a pitchfork, you know, that guy? He, really? You, you, it's most important from this verse, really this verse, but also other aspects of Scripture, that, that Jesus clearly knows who he is and is making the point he exists. I mean, of course Jesus would know he exists. Jesus is God, was with God, the Father and the Holy Spirit, when this being was created. He's an angel. He's a fallen angel. So, so Jesus knows who he is. He knows that he was, he was made, and he was one of the most impressive and important angels in heaven, and Jesus knows that. And then at some point in time, he, he got it in his head, whether he has a head or not, I don't know, but he got it in his mind at least, in his spirit, that, you know, you know what? I don't, I don't want to be under this creator. I, I want to be God. And he fell. And he took a pile of minions with him. And, and he was cast down to... Now, listen, this is interesting. Some of you might be going, yeah, he was cast down to hell, right? I, I actually, no. Like, I actually, when I was a Christian for many years, I was raised Catholic and then I became a Christian. I didn't know any... I just, I assumed, I had the assumption that he was cast down to where? Hell. I mean, that's where he belongs, right? And, and, and I think in the back of my mind, I was just thinking that, you know, at the end of the day, what he does is he just makes day trips to earth, right? And, and he comes here and he, and he comes into my car while I'm driving to church with my wife and he causes me to get angry and argue with her and be unkind to her. None of you have that happen in your minivans? Come on. Right? But the, the, honestly, I think I kind of I had that thinking that he's, he's down there in the pit, you know, and that he just, he makes appearances from time to time to, to do his terrible things. And, you know, the old saying, the devil made me do it. Not even close to being true. Deceptive ideas. Lies that we act on. Sure, he's a tempter. So first, from this first, we have it confirmed the reality that there is a devil. Jesus is confirming that. The, the Greek word here is diabolos, where we get the word diabolical, right? From it, there's many other names that we'll look at through this series, series for him, slanderer, many other things that he's, this name means uh, that he is given. And so for Jesus, he is real. That's for starters. Secondly, look at this. Jesus says that he is the true father of those whom he's speaking to. That's really important. So, so I'm guessing that you can imagine how it made the Pharisees feel, right? Because they're, they're getting a little confused here. They're like, okay, um, you've always been talking about you and the father are one. And so you, we assume you're talking about the father, right? But hold on, you're saying that we have another father? So yes, Jesus is saying that. And so what he's saying is this also. There are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And by the way, there are only two fathers. There are only two fathers. You'll remember how John begins his gospel in chapter 1 where he, 
he says these words in verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to look at the word, become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So the whole point is, is that when, when, a, when a person receives and believes in Jesus, what happens? They become a Christian. <laughs> but, but also, Jesus then gives you and I the right to become a child of God. And God becomes our Father. So when you, when you tie that all together, what does it mean? Well, it means before that, he wasn't our father. And someone else literally was our father. That's hard for some people to accept. I mean, we're created in the image of God, right? Yes, we are. All of us. 100% of us. But only some are given the right to then become children of God. So thirdly, in this verse, we see that Jesus says, he was a murderer from the beginning. And so, like I said, his goal and aim is death. And he dealt the greatest blow in this war with humanity, with men and women, right at the beginning. Right in the very beginning. We'll look at this more next week. But you guys all know the story, right? You all know the story of Genesis where, where he, he said to, to Adam, to Eve, pardon me, he asked a question, that diabolical question, a little deceptive idea, right? He's, he's the most cunning, the scripture tells us, of all. And then, of course, he lies to her. The, the first lie that we hear of in scripture, you will not surely, what? Die. He knew the truth. Absolutely knew the truth. He, he knew what God, what God told Adam that he should not do, what he should not eat of. Adam had surely passed that on to Eve. They knew. But he lies. Now, finally, Jesus says, this is important. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Look at this. When he lies, I, I, this, this, these words are amazing coming from Christ. He speaks out of his own character. Literally, it's his nature. It's his very nature. For he is a liar and the father of all lies. And so, in reality, it is saying this, his one and only distinctive as a creative being is he is a liar. There's no redeeming factors in his character or his being. In Christ's eyes. And so I would suggest that should be our attitude too when we think about him. So this is rather harsh for Jesus, right? Like, again, Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, pacifist? Yes. <laughs> but the, these are stark words. But let's also remember again, he's in a conversation. This, he's not, this is not milk toast, is it? This is Jesus being very direct. And why is he being so direct? Because this is critical. This passage, this message, is critical to his whole mission. He came to defeat this guy, and he did. We know that. But he's still been given some time to do some damage with the world and with you and I. 
And so we need to look at the full context to see what the battle, this war, is really all about. This, this interaction begins with these very wonderful and memorable words of Jesus back in verses 31 and 32. Look at these words with me. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. And look at this. The truth will set you free. How many of you have ever put that on a, <laughs> and put that on your fridge? Like, know the truth and the truth will set you. It's beautiful. It's also true. It's also Jesus's great hope. So the deal here is that He's been preaching and teaching the same more or less message for a long time. But on this particular day, this particular setting, he's been preaching and teaching for a while now. And what we see in this verse is that some of the Jews that were following him believed him. And, and so most likely received him and believed him and were, were becoming Christian in their belief towards him. And of course, this is despite the fact that the Pharisees are constantly questioning him, constantly asking him to perform more miracles, prove to us that you're Messiah. Like, how can you say that? And then what does this mean about divorce? And all these ridiculous taunts and questions. And then Jesus says these beautiful words, as I've said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, we're going to come back to the subject of truth and freedom more next week, but especially in weeks three and four. But for today, we just need to observe that Jesus says these words. If you abide in me, if you live in me and on my word, you will truly be my disciple. And through that discipling experience, you will know the truth. And so the point again is this. There is truth. Oh boy, like I said, we're going to spend more time on that next weekend and the weeks after. But again, Jesus is making it very clear. I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6, you know that. He's arguing from the perspective of, I've come to bring you truth. Why? Because you need it. Oh, do we need it today? Amen. Yes, we need it today. Did they need it then? Yes, they did. Why? Deceptive ideas and lies. And they needed the truth. So that's the point. But also this, Jesus is saying, guys, the truth is knowable. Man, that's an odd concept in our world today, isn't it? The truth is knowable? It's radical. It really is. So remember the devil is real and he's been around since the beginning. And, and as the fathers of lies, he's never stopped deceiving. So now the, the, the Pharisees they hear Jesus say this, and it's interesting. It's interesting the word that they pick up on. I don't know about you, but I, I picked up on the truth, the truth, the truth, right? They don't pick up on that word. They say this to him in verse 33. We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. Hold on. How is it you say you will become free? <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I'm just going to say it. How clueless can you be, really, to say that to Jesus, Right? I, Janice and I have been going through our devotions this past week and a half, and where have we been? We've been in Exodus. <laughs> and, and the story of the people of Israel, 430 years, you know, Pharaoh, please let my people go, let my people go, let my people go. Where were they and what was happening to them? They were in captivity and they were enslaved. And these guys are saying to Jesus, never happened. We've never experienced that. Like, again, like clueless 
I, 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 I'll say this in a minute, I guess, but I just can't believe how calm Jesus remains. <laughs> like, there's a, there's a point here where he could have gone after them on that point, but he doesn't do that. Instead, he continues to teach them. He says this in verses 35 to 38. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son reign, remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. Now, he might have been a little bit sarcastic there. Okay. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I love these words. I speak of what I have seen from my father. What I have seen from my father. You do what you have heard from your father. I'm not sure how that landed. Oh, I am. Not good. Again, he's, he's making this juxtaposition between the, there's my father, capital F, right? And there's your father. There's this other father. And, and, and I mean, really, the, at this point, Jesus is like, like I know you're, 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 you're the children of Abraham. I know that racially you are but you're sure not acting like it. Look, you, you want to kill me. And then he says these words in verse 41. You are doing the works your father did. What works would those be? Well, deceiving their own people. Lying to their own people. They said to him, look at this. We were not born out of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Now, I don't know if any of you have heard this before, but the, this translation, the ESV, good translation. It's accurate in what it says, but when it says we were not born of sexual immorality, but a, a more literal translation would be, we are not bastards like you. In that day, that's how that would have landed so what are they referring to? His virgin birth. They knew the story. Now, I don't know. How, how would you respond? Uh, lightning. <laughs> like, now. I don't know. Jesus responds in verse 42. If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here for you. I came not of my own accord. That doesn't mean I didn't really want to. <laughs> no. He's doing the Father's will. But he sent me. So as I've been alluding to, if, if I had been insulted in that way, I, I'm not sure I would have been as kind as Jesus. But instead... Jesus wants them to know the truth. This is always his heart towards even them. He just wants them to know the truth. Why? Because they're being lied to and deceived all the time. And he knows it's killing them. And here's the truth. It'll set you free. Why wouldn't you want that? 
And so Jesus is saying, I'm here with you, and this is what I'm doing. I'm trying to tell you the truth. I'm doing my very, very best to help you see the truth. He won't quit. He won't give up. And that's when he arrives at the verse, which we'll put back on the screen this morning. You are of your father, the devil. You want to kill me? You don't want to love me? Well, here's pretty clear evidence then that you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of all lies. So before telling us and them about his lying character, Jesus first also says that there is no truth in him. It, it's about truth, right? He doesn't stand in the truth. He doesn't stand for the truth. There's no truth in him whatsoever. And so again, we, we learn here that there are, listen, in conclusion, there are two kingdoms. That's it. The kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. There's no middle kingdom. We'll look at that a little bit more next week because some of us want to be in the middle kingdom like foot on the fence, on either side of the fence, it's uncomfortable. But there are also two fathers. And the other truth is this. There is only one of two worldviews out there. There is the truth, and there are lies. And that's it. It's quite binary, don't you think? <laughs> Sounds kind of black and white. Well... We'll pick up on that more next week. So listen, for the Christian, for you who are here today who are Christian, what should we take away from this today? Well, first, I'm, I'm hoping that you're, you're becoming a little bit more interested in knowing exactly who your adversary is and, and that, that you want to know um, what he's up to. So, so that you can see it for yourself, so that you can be on guard, and so that you can do ultimately what Jesus wants you to do, which is to resist and to stand. Ephesians 6. Resist and to stand. But also, listen, secondly, I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but <laughs> I, 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 in my lifetime of 60, almost seven years in three weeks. Oh, Lord. I, I don't think I have seen what I've seen speed up so much in the last five years. I, I feel frightened for anyone in their youthful days growing up today to be able to find truth in the midst of so much deception so many lies. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Scripture will teach us it's going to get worse. It's a sign of the end times. It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. Oh, that it would. But here's the last thing I hope we can take away from this today, that we not become like some Christians who've studied this subject before, become judgmental and, and point our fingers out there and, and say, those people, that world, yeah, it's them, not us. They're the problem. They're what's causing us to not have the best Christian life ever. No. I'm hoping you can leave here today with at least this thought. 
compassion. <laughs> Literal compassion for people who are just like God said to Jonah, the people in Nineveh were like. They don't know their left hand from their right hand. Why? Because they're living in a world full of deception and lies. Jesus said when he preached in his synagogue for the first time, right, his, his home church for the first time, he said one of the things was, I've, I've come to set the captives free. I am the light of the world. You are the light of the world. It's our responsibility as the church to take truth into this world. Why? So that Jesus can set the captives free. Pray with me, would you?